because my mother, she calls me uh, little pet names. And growing up, I didn't understand it because she would always call me the child that God gave her or whatever the case may be. So now that I'm older, I don't really, because my real name isn't Rose. So that's like a pet name on its own. My real name is Wussy Biolik's son. So I'm saying, thank you to my souls up in here. You feel me? And so, <laughs> and so, like I said, my mom will call me in Creole. It's Bon um, Bye. That's what she will call me. And so that's definitely have grown on me. And that would be my, how I receive love. So how do you guys feel like y'all receive love a little bit? Well, I... I have a few. When I took the, uh, the test, the quiz, have y'all taken the quiz before? Yeah. Okay, so when I took the quiz, the first time, I was talking to Rose and we did this original podcast. When I took it the first time, my um, love language was words of affirmation. And then when I took it the second time, which is like maybe two years later, mm-hmm. my love language changed to quality time. And so me and Rose were talking about it, and we're like, maybe it's because now that I've grown, I don't need nobody to tell me, you know, right, that, I, you know, that I'm popping. Right. I know I'm popping, you right. know what I'm saying? But, um... <laughs> I think quality time would be mine because undivided quality time because it's different when you spend time with somebody and they're on their phone or they have other things distracting them, other things going on. I like undivided attention and people listening to me. Okay. Yes. Andrew Ski. Oh, wow. All right. Um, so my love language is uh, quality time and acts of service. Um, 
and a lot of that uh, really translate to the way I serve. Um, usually, um, for those that know me, like when I'm I'm working, I'm working, and I'm in there 110%. Uh, and that does translate as well also to my relationships as well. Um, honestly, that's how I learned from my parents um, in particular as well because they're very, very hard workers, you know, for all my Jamaicans in the building. Well, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's it for me. Yeah. Um, my love language would have to be, it's a tie between words of affirmation and acts of service. Um, growing up, I was really insecure, so I wasn't this handsome masterpiece you see before. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Yo, we got Very some good. arrogant men over here, y'all. I was progressive. I can't. I have a past. We all have a past. And so those insecurities kind of like built this wall of a prison that I lived in from the age of like seven to I think 17. So that 10 year span for me was horrible. And so as I began to really understand what love is and how I receive it, as well as how I give it, I understand that words of affirmation mean the world to me because it builds a confidence in me that I always didn't have. Of course, I got that from God first, mm -hmm. but it translated into all the relationships that I've ever had. And so um, acts of service, I'm a respect of, of people's time. And so anytime a person takes it out of their busy schedule, to look at me and say that, hey, you're important enough for me to schedule in something to do specifically for you. Mm -hmm. I respect that because to me that shows a lot of loyalty. Right. Mm -hmm. So for, how do you feel like toxic masculinity plays a part in how you love? Because one of my guy friends said that when his friend died, everyone was at the funeral crying and he couldn't cry because he didn't want to feel like, he didn't want to feel less than. Mm -hmm. So he was just staring at everybody and he was like, in his mind, he was like, I should be crying. But then on the other side, it was like, I can't cry because then they gonna think I'm a punk. So he just stood there like this. Mm. And so how do you feel like toxic masculinity affects the way that you cry? Like, do you cry in front of your girlfriend? I'm gonna be careful with that one. <laughs> <laughs> let the people know, yes, in your weakness, you are made strong through Christ. So let the people know. I'm gonna say this. If a man doesn't cry, he's not a man. He is a boy struggling to become a man. Mm -hmm. um, I think toxic masculinity weakens the horizons of manhood because it says you aren't allowed to do things that make you human um you're not allowed to cry you're not allowed to say i love you first you're not allowed to be happy when you get a text message from somebody you're not allowed to text all like who does that if i'm if if i am a man that means that i am growing into the horizons that god created for men when you look at the first man that was cre ever created adam God specifically gives Adam a task that has a large horizon. He was told to name all the animals mm -hmm. that roamed the land. Mm -hmm. Who could come up with Tyrannosaurus Rex? <laughs> like, out of nowhere. But he had, he had that task. And so when you look at that large scale of manhood, and then you shrink it down to the, not necessarily shrink it down, but you zoom in on the details of relationships, a lot of times toxic, toxic masculinity says you're not allowed to express mm. true love. Right. It's a mess. It's a prison, you guys. Matter of fact, to even add on to that, it says you cannot be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And honestly, us as beings, um, being made, we're, we're created to worship. Mm -hmm. Like in everything, it requires vulnerability. It requires to say, hey, I am less because I'm acknowledging a God that is more. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, a lot of us, we're... When it comes to toxic masculinity, it's almost like we have this certain pride that's instilled in us that we cannot show, like, show ourselves to be broken 
that requires you to even have a level of uh, interaction with God in the first place that's required. You know what I'm saying? You have to, a lot of times, us as men, you know, we do walk around with those insecurities a lot of the time and we recognize, okay, yeah, we may be nothing, so to speak. And so because of that, I'm not going to show it. But the, that's what's unhealthy. The healthy thing is saying, okay, yes, I am nothing, but I'm nothing without God. So because I am nothing without God, I need God. Right. And so because of that now, I can now express how much I need him. And so in that, that translates into everything else. And honestly, it makes you even stronger because of that. Absolutely. I liked what you said when you said being vulnerable um, allows you to be stronger because a lot of people don't realize that in order to heal, in order to grow, in order to do anything that you want to be, whoever you want to become, you have to be vulnerable because you have to be real with yourself. Mm -hmm. right? And if you're not being vulnerable, you're not being real with yourself. And I know um, to answer the question, a lot of times with men, I have two older brothers. I'm the only girl. So I grew up around a lot of guys. And I noticed that, like, they just would, would shrink into a ball. When they would feel something, they would shrink. And when I see men today, I'm just like, black men have one of the highest suicide rates, number one. Mm -hmm. So... That tells you something about black men and the, what we're teaching our black men and what we're telling them to do with their emotions and how they handle things that they deal with. So when we interact with these people, when I interact with the children that I work with or anybody's kid or anybody's friend, brother, man, I'm, not, I'm, I'm making a conscious effort to not minimize their feelings or their right. emotions because as black women, as black people, we're all one. So at the end of the day, we have to uplift people around us and make sure that we're not adding to these suicide rates and adding to these mental health issues and, and um, things that go on in people's lives so that they can overcome and heal and learn how to heal. True. Right. But for me, I know my biggest struggle was vulnerability because where I'm from, you know, show no emotions because emotions get you killed. So mm -hmm. I was always <laughs> laughing at, like, I'm too hood. You feel know, me? Really, you know where I'm from. Subu to the beehive. But um, <laughs> so I definitely went to more so um, schools that were in um, the hood. And so, because a lot of people see me and they'll be like, how are you so this? But then your parents are so like this. And I'm like, well, because I spent most of the time in school mm -hmm. and not with my parents because, you know, your parents right. work half of the day. And so because I was in school and I was so short for me, I had to show them I'm short, but these hands not. And so for so long, true. no, true. I had to fight for my respect because I felt like no one's going to respect me if I'm so small. It's like it's a whole bunch. I be when I used to hit the club all the time, I used to be walking through the club. I'm like, oh, I didn't see you there. You saw me. You saw me. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm not that short. I ain't a midget now. And so for me, I felt I felt like to gain people's respect, I kind of had to put mm. fear into them mm -hmm. so they could respect me. Right. Until one day, um, like I was telling you, this, this lady just saying random. I know her. She's my friend. But she was sitting down, and then she just looked at me. She was like, God said you don't have to be so hard all the time. You don't have to be. I said, what do you mean? And she was like, God said that you don't have to defend yourself because he already defended you. And I was like, and then she just went back to what she was doing. And I was like, I need that power. How did right, you just do right. that? <laughs> like, I was, so I'm like, so God just talked to you and then hung up the phone? Like, wait, put her back on the line because I got questions. Why I'm still single, Lord? Like, what's going on? And, and, and then she just, you know, she just went back to what she was doing. And in my mind, I'm like, okay. Oh, okay, all right, cool. So I got to pray more because clearly God could just hang up, call, hang up. Mm -hmm. And then secondly, I was at a space to receive it then. And then two years later, when I was just sitting down, and I was like, well, God, why am I so easily offended? And why am I so always in getting into these toxic relationships? And it's because you're not, God was like, because you're not being vulnerable. Remember, right. I sent someone to tell you to be vulnerable. If you were, if you received what she told you two years ago, you wouldn't have to be in the situation. You wouldn't always be easily offended because you could tell someone, hey, that hurt my feeling. Mm -hmm. But when you have this wall up, 
I'm going to just ignore you because I'm block queen. I'm going to just, oh, okay. It's my birthday. You ain't say happy birthday blocked. Next. And when I see you the next day, you're going to be like, I thought we was. No, you ain't say happy birthday. Communication, man. Right. But I think toxic masculinity creates those those struggles. And, and I say that because you're a woman and right. you have that you have that nature to defend first mm-hmm. and defend always. Right. So what happens is a lot of times in... Um, I'm gonna give y'all an exclusive. I'm working on a new book. It's okay, called Dear see. Baby Girl. Okay. And um, I interviewed Jasmine for this book and a couple more other people. And um, what I'm learning is that men create an image of love for women. And if a man is suffering from the theory of toxic, toxic masculinity, what happens is... He then creates the the picture in a female's mind that this is how the world is going to view you. Men are going to view you from my standpoint. And so I have a lot of female cousins. And so what happens is because majority of my generation of men or family are men, we created an idea that you got to stand up for yourself. You got to you got to make sure that these dudes ain't out here trying you. You got to make sure that. These females ain't out here trying. You got to have that wall and that guard. And growing in a in a town where toxic masculinity is like the president or the governor or the mayor, you don't get a real sense for the other side of that. And so now it's a domino effect. I don't know how to love. And so the people around me don't know how to love. Right. They don't know how to receive love. They right. don't know how to give love. Right. And it hurts. And it's a ongoing thing cycle. ongoing it's not even a cycle because cycles have a start and an end and then they come back to the top right. this is like get back to the get to the end and it's a new level right it's a video game that never ends right and so to wrap it up oh someone has a question oh, oh. go ahead well i was gonna say um to add to what you were saying in your community um and that's something that we as black people all experience i think it's really important to highlight where that talk toxic masculinity or fragile masculinity comes from, wherever you want to say, where that comes from, and I think that it's important to recognize that it does come from um, slavery, and it comes from our oppressors who over centuries have oppressed us because we didn't necessarily have those, there were, of course, were gender issues in our homeland, but we didn't have the same kinds of toxic masculinity and fragile masculinity and fragile femininity and toxic femininity because of, we're not, we're not in our natural environment, we're not in our, in our natural setting. Here's, here's, my, here's my counterpart to that. And this is, I mean, granted, slavery created who we are today. It created either our ambitions or our downfalls. Mm-hmm. But at some point, you have a choice. Boom. You, slavery was not a choice. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm right. not Kanye. Okay, Kanye. 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 But I think, you, but I think here's, here's my belief. I believe that at some point, you're presented with right and wrong. You're presented with the idea of... I know what's good for me, and I know what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. And so if you don't decide that what's good for me is going to make me uncomfortable, mm-hmm. gonna, but it's going to provide a better future for the people around me, it's going to create a better future for me, mm-hmm. and you choose that, if you choose to do better instead of choosing to be comfortable, then you kill the idea of toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. If you don't choose to do right and you choose to be comfortable, then you create the monster that exists today. But I was going to piggyback off of Rose because I struggle with that too. And I think 
I'm so hard. Oh yeah, you harder than me, sis. <laughs> <laughs> you you, you oh it's tough. Like, it gives me anxiety. Like it's very, very uncomfortable, and it's with my upbringing. I'm from Miami. My relationships and stuff like that. And I've been through a lot of stuff, and it's so easy for me to build the wall and put on this. I'm hard. I'm hard. I'm hard. Because people don't understand. Right. So I feel like the masculinity issue it affects women too because feelings and emotions and stuff like that, that stuff is abnormal to me. And typically if I'm dating somebody and it gets to that level, I will self-sabotage it. Right. So I won't have to get to that level because I don't want to be vulnerable. Because right. vulnerability has to? caused me to be hurt so many times that I don't want it. Right. I can personally say that I do some of the same things you do, but something I'm realizing within myself is that when I cause myself to not be vulnerable with myself and with others, I'm also causing myself to not be vulnerable with God. So I'll find myself praying, and because I'm like shutting all those feelings off, I don't want to talk to God about what I'm going through. Right. And so I'm sitting there like, yeah, I'm just gonna pray around it and pray about everything else. <laughs> God is and he's like, sitting there like, girl, that's not what you really like, want. Get to the point. Really, what do you want to say? What, right. like, what, what's, what's on your mind? And I'm just sitting there like, okay, I'm gonna just end this prayer and pray another time because I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to deal with it. Like we're just gonna come back to that because you're right. in my business, right. but we're not gonna talk about that. So it's just something that I, I'm working to, towards through. You know what I'm saying? But I know for it, me, difficult. like when I'll know that I'm trying to shut something off when a deacon or a minister or even pastor is preaching and he'll say something, I'll be in a cry. You can ask, I'll be like, get out of my house, pastor, because you two be too deep into my, like you in my feelings right now. And so that's how I know. Like you never know what you're going through until it's like someone says something and mm-hmm. then it kind of cuts you. They mind your business. And then, right. You'd be like... <laughs> You took it too far, and they'd be like, "What? <laughs> All I said was, you know, men don't like short girls. What's going on? You know, you'd be like, you, you took it too far. Hold on, I'm, I'm still, you know. So that's definitely something I do struggle with. Mm-hmm. One more question. I, I saw you right there. Go ahead. Um, well, it wasn't quite a question, but it kind of was. It's like a hybrid, right? So to speak. Um, basically, like you were saying, toxic masculinity and toxic femininity. Like you said, some of that stuff is generational. Some of that stuff is passed on. Mm-hmm. That defensive mother. That you may be defending, like you said, from things that come pre-before you. Right. If you don't take that time or you don't take that energy to heal you, you can do nothing for anybody else. Mm-hmm. Okay. So to wrap it up, when you raise your sons, mm-hmm. how are you going to, how, how are <laughs> like you going to, uh, you ain't even let me get it out. Y'all can like it. <laughs> when you raise your son, how are you going to make sure that not saying the way you were raised was wrong, mm-hmm. but how are you going to shift the atmosphere and how you raise your son so you let your son know that, okay, you can cry, and it's okay to tell a woman, hey, you hurt my feelings. It's okay to cry at your brother's Jesus. funeral. Like, how are you going to make sure that you implement that with your future sons it's, or daughter? Because you got to tell your daughter, yeah, if, if a guy cried, don't say nothing. Like, Absolutely. <laughs> it starts with me. Right. It starts with everything that I'm learning in this season where I don't have these things. It starts in the preparation phase. If a if a man fails to prepare, if a man fails to prepare, he prepares to fail. Right. And so with my with my son and with my daughter, I'm gonna allow them to see that toxic masculinity doesn't exist in daddy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't like I I am far from that definition. Right. I will let you know that I cry. I will cry in front of you. Right. I will let you know that something hurts my feelings. I will get angry and not punch holes in walls and let let you see that right. side of me. I will be a controlled man who understands that there's a time and place for everything. There's a time for anger and there's a time for love. I will I will be the first evidence that real love exists to you. Right. And that is my job first and it starts with everything that I learned. It starts with me getting knowledge from great couples, it, it great men, mm-hmm. period. Um talking to God constantly. Right. God, I don't understand this. Even in front of them so that they understand that 
Daddy is just a resource. Right. God is the source. Right. And if daddy is a resource, that means that he will give you what God gives him. Right. That's good. Mr. Andrew. <laughs> um, a <laughs> couple of things. First thing, being intentional. Mm-hmm. Um, have to be intentional. Um, even when it comes to um, learning new things. Um, one huge thing uh, God is just dealing with me about has been uh, in this season has been accountability. Um, but not only with that accountability, and not only with accountability, but um, also being humble and open um, to receive um, to receive accountability. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Wow. Have I been talking this well this whole time? Yes. Anyways, so um, but um, definitely being humble to receive it. I think. Our issue for um, not only my generation, but just honestly, just men in general, we're not humble to receive correction, bro. And we're so quick to right. to honestly snap back at somebody instead of taking a moment to sit back and like <laughs> evaluate ourselves and be like, okay, wait a second. Maybe I did do something wrong. And maybe if somebody did say something and what if it wasn't an offensive way, there's still some truth to what they were still saying. Right. You know what I'm saying? You, you, got, you, you got to have some maturity to go ahead and sort through those emotions. But I think the next thing as well is, um, to piggyback off what my brother just said is um to show all of that you have to be present you have to be present Absolutely. um specifically for my father he showed his love through work like i could definitely tell you his love language was acts of service because that's how he said look i'm working you got clothes on your back you got food you good right, right? But then guess what? But he wasn't present to teach me how to communicate. Right. He wasn't yeah. present to go ahead and show me, okay, hey, look, this is how you go ahead and you really let me show him. And thank God, like, other men stepped in to go ahead and show me those things. But us as men, we have to learn how to be present. And we cannot be passive-aggressive as well when it comes to things that we know we need to address. Right. You know, we have to go ahead and be straight up. We have to go ahead and literally, sometimes it's going to take for you to be blunt, to be completely honest with you. And you can't be so, you really got to think, do I really love this person? If I'm trying to spare feelings, quote unquote, and not tell them the real truth. So just something to go ahead and take with y'all now. Okay, okay. You want to see if I can get our next guest a question? All right. So thank y'all so much. We got to get our next guest up, up here. All right. Give our man a. Uh... So we have uh, the, the blunts up here. Yes. The blunts. They just got married, y'all. They went to Paris for their honeymoon. Okay. Want to uh, introduce yourself? We'll let the man of the house go first. Hello, everybody. I'm Dr. Stephon Blunt. Doctor. Uh, 2014 graduate of Fairview College of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. And this is my lovely wife. Oh, lovely wife. Hello, all. I'm just his wife and a child of God, and I'm happy to be here. <laughs> and an author. And an author. Right, all of that. All right, so me and Jazz. Uh, you know, me and Alexis, we were talking about um, just some great areas within the Bible that we kind of struggle with. Like for one, <clears throat> my mom's in the room, she don't know. But um, <laughs> so for one, you know, sleep, living with your boyfriend, and you, I didn't do that, mom. But I'm just saying, <laughs> people who do that, you know, that's not how you raise me to be. And so one thing we were talking, about, one thing, hey y'all, chill out. She's she in New York. So one thing we were talking about was, well, is it wrong? Because the Bible don't say anything about it, and you know. Well, my ex, his mom was like, I mean, why pay two rents? Y'all always together anyway. So it's like, you know what? You're right. So how do y'all? <laughs> so what's no Bible verse? Star, you looking down. What happened? With y'all? <laughs> y'all was living together? <laughs> oh, so. <laughs> okay, so. 
<laughs> I have not yet found a Bible verse that says that you can't shack up because that's really what it is, shacking up. But I do not think it's wise. And I say that because um, Stefan and I, we lived together and then we moved out because it was just not right. He wanted to be celibate and all of this stuff and it just wasn't working out. And, <laughs> and, and, and Sister, you transparent. Sister, be real. We moved in together and one of my friends was like, girl, you better not move in with him because your name not gonna be on the um on the on the lease and something happened and y'all can break up. And I was like, well, I, just, I know we gonna get married. Like, this is my husband. Like, I know. And she was like, um, she wasn't talking about anything spiritual. It was just like wisdom. Like, you don't do certain things. And so we moved in together. Everything was like perfect. I had no, I had no complaints and I don't use perfect loosely, but I felt convicted. So I moved out, stuff on my house. No rent, rent free in college. Like, you know, it was great. I didn't have to use my net check to pay my bills. So I, it was good. But again, I moved back in, bought the house. I don't even think we were there for like weeks. And I moved out. I got one bedroom apartment. Here goes, you know, being locked in a pattern of sin. I moved back in. And then. Right. Clearly. <laughs> before we got married, he moved. And I felt on my wedding day when I was writing my vows, I just felt peace because I felt like we new conviction so even when we didn't do the right thing we knew that we were doing the wrong thing and we knew how to pray and seek wise counsel right. and even though there are great areas in the bible when you can identify the, the holy spirit and when he's speaking to you i think that's very powerful when you're in a relationship and it's going you're being led towards marriage so yes there are great areas there are plenty of great areas but i believe that when you follow the Bible and when you have accountability partners, ultimately you're able to decide like what's right and wrong, even if God doesn't say yes or no. Mm -hmm. Any questions out there for them? Anyway, let me tell y'all my story. <laughs> so, so I used to stay with my, my hood ex thing, right? And it was all good and all. You feel me? I got him to stop selling drugs at the house, so, you know, it was peaceful. Right. So we, it was good, you know, people stopped knocking on the door at 3 o'clock in the morning. It was good. But then, I, <laughs> but then I started going to the Family Worship Praise Center. And then one, it's like, you know, I'm like, Pastor, he was cool, you know, he was a little funny, but I felt like he was always, you know, convicting me. So I'm like, okay, what's wrong with this pastor? Like, <laughs> so one service, like, I'm talking about this man, if you've never met Pastor, this man is wild. Like, one service, he was like, I pray right now that anybody who's shacking up just one day, you wake up and his breath stinks, you just get some time here. Fair. And y'all, I think fair. that spirit was for me because I went home. And he just came home from work. I was like, why are you here? He's like, I live here. But why, why are you in my space? And it's just like, we just started constantly getting to fight. And I was like, dang, this pastor. Right. I said, this pastor man just put something on me. And it's, <laughs> <laughs> he cracked me out of the Right. He didn't even know me. And then from there, I was like, yeah, I got to move out. And then, you know, my mom didn't even know I was staying there. So she used to call me. She was like, oh, where you at? Yeah, I'm at home. What's that in the background? Mm -mm. It's, we watching some hood movie, that's all that is. Whole time, probably somebody getting shot outside because he lived in a band or something. It was just horrible, and it was not conducive <laughs> to my environment and my mentality. And just like she said, it was like, for me, how I learned, well, how I got out of that situation is, I, I joined the church for one, and then through joining the church, even though I didn't tell anybody my situation, I feel like God sent somebody to convict me. And so Pastor probably was just talking because, you know, he likes to talk. He's getting older. But he... <laughs> Don't tell him I said that. Don't tell him I said that, y'all. 
because God couldn't do what he needed to do with me because I was always in his house. And so it was not conducive to me because I was in this environment. And so sometimes, even though, like you said, there's gray areas, if God really needs you and he needs you to be, like, if he needs you to set people free, if he needs you to start your ministry, he's going to push you out one way or another. It's, it's going to happen. Yeah. Even with our book, it was just like, I, I was able to look back and see where we did things that weren't right, but that we were also transparent and able to share our journey with couples our age because when we were living together and when we were having sex, it was so hard to like hashtag on Instagram like celibacy after sex, you know, having sex with your partner. Like it was just so hard to find people who really wanted to sh share their story. Right. That was our age. Right. Like everyone was so much older or so much wiser, had were already married. And I'm like, okay, what about me who's not yet engaged? who's waiting on the ring, who's waiting to get married. Like, where are y'all? What, like, what's going on? No one wants to share. I have a question, a real question, not a comment. Um, what, is, what is, so obviously I know what celibacy is, but like, what is the, because um, I hear a lot of people say they become celibate, they have sex before getting engaged, and they get engaged, and they just have to be celibate before they get married. So like, what is the, is there a spiritual thing that like, guides you towards that direction? Like, what's the purpose? That's a good question. I think for us uh, in particular, I think uh, it was that conviction that Alexis mentioned, my wife mentioned. I mean, when we, even before we got, even before we got engaged, like we knew that we wanted to live for God. Like we got together because we were praying uh, individually before we even met each other. We were praying, you know, God, you know, give us the desires of our hearts. Um, and so us becoming one and coming together, we kind of knew God was the backbone of our relationship and we wanted that going forward. So we wanted to honor God and do the right thing, uh, I'm sure. It's, it's a sin to have sex outside of marriage. Right. Okay. Fornication is a sin. So ultimately we wanted to do the right thing, but also like obeying God's law. Like that's what it is. It, it, it's not something that's talked about often because I guess when we're children, our parents just tell us not to have sex, but they don't tell us why. Right. And I think that was my main issue. My mom always said, good touch, bad touch, is anyone touching you inappropriately? Don't have sex, don't do this, don't do that. But she didn't tell me why. It wasn't that I didn't go to church, I was raised in the church. I knew right from wrong, but I grew up in a one-parent household. My mom worked late, and so, you know, you have older cousins, they're having sex. Nobody's really getting taught the right thing. Mm -hmm. In my community, for the most part, I grew up in the inner city, the hood too. So people were having sex, like that was normal. So I didn't really know that sex was, I knew sex was a sin, but I didn't know that I was sinning against my own, the own body. Like I didn't know like the depths of it. Right. And so one day my cousin came, she's younger than me, and her dad is a pastor, but, and we grew up closely, so he was probably the only father figure I really had. And she told me I was going to hell. So what she said was wrong. <laughs> right. So like, she, like pastor type stuff. Like if she told me something that was in the Bible, like she knew scriptures and everything. Okay. So she came up here and she was like, she, that was the only time she visited me. And she was like, you're going to hell. I wasn't dating stuff on or nothing. I, was, I had a, a whole other boyfriend. And she was like, you're going to hell. And I was just like, oh my God, like I want to help them when I got with him. Like, the whole time I had him, I was like, oh my God, I have to do this because I'm going to hell. But then when I went to, when I went to um, FWPC and Pastor Quincy, he speaks about celibacy and so many different things. Well, not, I don't think he uses the word celibacy, but right. he speaks about relationships and marriage and all of these things. And when I was able to study and look on my own, I saw the value of waiting for, like waiting to have sex until you're married. We're, and we weren't perfect. We like we are very transparent about our journey and how we had many like failures, and then we got it right. So you know, we if you have questions after, you can definitely ask. Okay. 
she had a question right here. Um, so I just find it interesting that we're even having this conversation because yesterday I wound up going to um, Thrive yesterday and this um, actually came up in conversation. And one of the points that the pastor made and there's actually scripture that convicts you of, you know, shacking up in a way. And it comes from the story with the woman in the well and it's John 4 mm. and 17. And he asked her, you know, do you have a husband? And she said, that nicely put, I have no husband. You have five husbands, and the man you're living with now isn't even your husband. You spoke the truth, there should sure not. Mm -hmm. So pretty much he was convicting her, saying, like, you're living with a man, you're not even married. Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, your proof, you know, proof in the pudding in the Bible, like, shacking up is, right. is wrong. Right. Because it's not, it's just not as plain as, Thou shalt not kill him. Right. So, we, it's, it's just like we all like to be like, well, the Bible did say there is something else that a lot of people say. I don't know. It's not shacking up. It's, it's something. But it's not cohabitating. It's on the tip of my tongue. But it's, a, it's another gray area in the Bible where people are always just like, oh, is it right or wrong? Or this is not a sin. And then it, if you're doing it, it's not a sin. It's just like the sin that you, you don't want to recognize. Okay, that's one too, but that's still sex. Like it's still right. sex. It's not intercourse, but you know, it's still sex. But what I was um, saying, um, and making good in the book, the way mm -hmm. I read it, it's a good breakdown of being abstinent and being celibate. Mm -hmm. Celibate is when you're intentionally working towards something yeah. with a purpose. When you just abstain from sex, you're just abstaining from it. But when we practice celibacy, not only are you working on yourself. You're just, you know, you're intentionally making sure that you yourself is whole before you project yourself to that because we have to learn sex clouds our judgment. And we, it does. When you, yes. you can't see that person outside of that lustfulness because we, you know, I had to learn just because it feels good, that's not, that does not mean that it's right. good. So it's just one of those. Oh, God. So I um, actually recently watched a sermon by Mike Todd. Y'all know Pastor Mike Todd? Oh, that's and he was talking about sex. And he um, said a lot of people don't realize why you shouldn't have sex for marriage. And he broke it down like the wedding and all that stuff that we do, that's for us. Like nowhere in the Bible does God say like you have to have a wedding, you have to have a white dress, you have to do all this stuff. He said you marry the person when you have sex with him. So like no matter how many times like who how many people we have sex with like you're marrying each of those people individually without having that commitment so that's why it's so hard for you to see that person after you're done that's why it's so hard when y'all break up and y'all go your separate ways why it's so hard uh, yes i'll send you that sermon but i just want to say and i realized that because i was celibate and then i got in a relationship and i had sex and that was the worst relationship of my life like and it really and i didn't realize and i was like oh this is why you're not supposed to do that so Right. So right. when we step into sex before marriage and we walk in sin, we have to understand it's not just about sex. Sex is something where you're just, I mean, sin is something where you're just satisfying your flesh and mm -hmm. not honoring God. Right. Right. So when we're looking for rules or gray areas or something to make a decision on what we should or should not do, are we really looking at our relationship with God? Because when you have a relationship with God, that conviction will come from what is God sharing with you. He may not be telling you, um, you know, word for word, like you were saying, like, oh, don't live with this person, don't live with your spouse. Right. But if he's telling you that he wants you to honor him with your body, 
And you know, if I'm laying up next to you every night, it's right. gonna get hard around week three to honor God with my body. Right. <laughs> right. Be transparent. Be transparent. Hold on, Grace. We can't hear you, Grace. Hold on. Is coming from mm-hmm. who who is telling you that sex before marriage is good? Right. It's not society. Society. Right. society. Anytime society's telling me to do something, I'm right. pretty sure it's wrong. Right. <laughs> right. right. I mean, you're not lying. If you're doing it, then you shouldn't be doing it. That's pretty much how it goes. So a lot of times you have to think about the source of it because you see it on TV, you see it with your friends, and it, it gives you the illusion that it is right. But like they're saying, you get convicted and you know that it's wrong. And right. you have to follow what you know to be wrong. Because in the Bible, it does say to do something that you know to be wrong is a sin. Right. That you know to be wrong. It doesn't mean that everybody else thinks that it's wrong. Right. But if you know it to be wrong and to do it anyway, it is a sin. Right. And he will tell you. He'll talk to you and you just hear that whisper. you be like... Okay, you, you do what you do with it. Like that little like, meme that said, God sent me a sign and she in front of the red sign. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't read this sign. He'll do it. <laughs> it's like, but I can't read, guys. Uh, you will have dreams. He will talk but, to you. You will hear him talking and but, you just going to choose to ignore it. Right, but for me, it was easy because I'm in college. He was older, so he was paying all the bills. You know, I was rocking. Like, I was like, all right, cool. You know, he was like, all right, if you're going to live in my house, you feel me, you got to. Dang, nah, I'm saying that a lot. I really sound like I was living in a hustle and flow movie, but I wasn't, y'all. I really wasn't. It was not that bad. But all he says, all you got to do is cook it clean, the house. And I was like, all right, cool. Do my homework, cook it clean. But then it just started to get too much because it's like, now I got all these responsibilities that I ain't trying to pick up because I couldn't go nowhere because he's like, where you at? What you mean where I'm at? I'm at what my friends. Well, what friends you got that I don't know? And it started to become too much. And then I realized what Pastor was saying. It's like, once you open yourself up to certain things, you open it up to all of you. don't get to choose what you open yourself up to. You open yourself to it all. So him trying to be all up in your bed. You ain't my man. You ain't my husband. You can't tell me where to go and who to be with. Like, one time I was at my friend's house to go practice dancing, and he tried to call me. He didn't, didn't answer. This boy got in the car and went to the neighborhood. He don't know where she lived. She know what my car looked like. So he just went to the neighborhood. I said, so what you was going to do? I was just going to drive around until I find your car. I said, yeah, you crazy. We done. We just can't do this anymore. <laughs> so definitely, like, once you open yourself to a sin, yeah. you can't pick and choose where the Which sin is ends right. and stop. Right. You get the full force of the sin. And you get the flow of the sin. Right. And it's it's the, just um, natural. The other great area I was talking about was masturbation and porn. And because you brought up Devon Franklin, he actually did an interview with The Breakfast Club. And I always look for him to be very honest because... Um, the Weight was the book that I read that really like helped change my mind. But on The Breakfast Club, um, Charlemagne was saying that <laughs> he masturbates when his wife is out of town. And Devon kind of beat around the bush about that. And I, it kind of really changed. I, and I know sometimes everyone isn't so deep, so you don't want to like dive in. Right. And I look like that's the sin and all of that. But I really looked for him and stuff. I was the one who pointed out because I said to him, like, oh, my God, this is such a great um, message. And he was like, well, yeah, he kind of beat around the bush about some things. So I listened to it again. And I think that he beat around the bush maybe because it's a great area. Or well, I haven't really studied that topic. But, you know, I think that's one of the things where you have to build 
you know, feel the Holy Spirit and understand like what conviction is here. So how do married couples feel? If I can have one of the couples, like, do you feel like if you're married, you can masturbate? Like, is that something that's like? Because you're married now, so I mean, awkward. Like, I'm about to do this, so you feel like I don't know. I guess if the person go out of town for a two months, I don't. Even. Two months? <laughs> 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 no, no, I'm just Go ahead. I actually like really have a genuine question about that because like I know how well at least what I've read, like you know, as time goes by, you know, things change, you know, um your attraction possibly can change to your you know, your spouse. Um and so not saying that obviously, you know, masturbation tends to that, right? But it's like, okay, you know, I'm looking for something and my spouse isn't giving it to me. So, you know, kind of want to go there. I kind of want to do, I'm just asking, you know, like, do you guys come in contact with that? Because I, I read that a lot actually. Right. And I think that's possibly, you know, probably some of the reason why people masturbate right. is because, you know, that issue or, and they're, they're, and they're not talking about it with their other spouse as well. You know, they're keeping that inside. So I, I would say that when I got married, I had to learn the difference between love and lust. And I can't be driven by my lustful feelings um, to do something. If, let's just say he had to be out of town for two months, that is two months of anticipation that he is going to reap the reward of. Wait, it's too much for me. I'm for the uh, discussion panel because they about to come up here and spill the tea, tell y'all how they got chose, you know, what they wore that day. So to wrap it up with y'all, how do y'all feel now that you guys are married? What are some tips for the single ones like ourselves who are ready, you know, single, it's not my real ring, single and ready to mingle people. Oh, sorry, wrong hand. Single and ready to mingle people. Like what is an advice you would give to your younger sister and you Stephon to your younger brother about the weight and stuff of that nature? Uh, I say that for one, uh, pray. You know, God will answer your prayers. Like I said before, we pray for God to uh, fill the desires of our heart. So that's the main thing to pray, stay focused, be patient. Um, there was a time in my life where, you know, I wasn't patient. I kind of um, would get into any and everything. And so, uh, but I, I knew that's not what I wanted. And, you know, I was patient. I was, I was looking for love, but I was also looking for God because I know God has a purpose on my life. So, um, just stay patient. That's that's really the biggest thing. Um, love each other unconditionally uh, when you do get that opportunity, and uh, I, I think God will lead you and, and you and your significant other where you want to be. Okay. Um, 
I remember my mom saying that she prayed for my college roommates before I came to college. So when I was praying for a husband before I met stuff, well, I met him, but before we kind of got back together, I was in a really toxic relationship before getting with him, um, clothes bleach, fights, all of that type of stuff, domestic, it was just crazy. So when I got out of that relationship, I was praying for the qualities I wanted to see in my husband. And then um, I also, it's weird, I don't even think I ever said this to Stefan. I knew that he was with a, a different women. I don't wanna say a lot of women, but I knew that he had hurt people. And I knew that while our friends and family were cheering for us to be together, I knew that there were some people who were hurt and probably maybe, maybe praying against us. So I also prayed for the women in his past to be able to have peace with the fact that they were no longer together. So those are things that you can pray for now. (laughs) Those are things that you can pray for now while you're waiting. And in in the season of waiting, don't get so impatient and don't settle. I have some friends who I feel, I honestly, like, I know you, girl. Like, I know you know you. Like, we best friends or we used to be best friends. I don't see that happiness and I'm not, I can't read your heart. But I don't want any of you to settle because it's not happening right now. Like, you're not getting instant gratification. So just wait. Pray for things that, if, if it pops up in your head, just pray about it. And I know it sounds so crazy, like, and if you're not super deep into the word yet, I'm not super deep, you know, like, I'm learning. And we're young. But be patient with yourselves. And just anything that comes to your head, negative, positive, like, give it to God. And I know that he'll bless you because he blessed me, like, tremendously. So they have their books in the back, and afterwards, uh, yeah, you guys can definitely uh, get a book, um, and she will be out here to talk to y'all. So we have one more guest, and that is Miss Catherine Renee. She's going to talk about mental health and love and how it plays into effect. And then, y'all, we got the discussion panel with the married folks. They can do what we can't, y'all. Yes. <laughs> they can answer the questions that we can't, yes. okay? So introduce yourself to the people. Okay, hi, my name is Catherine. Um, I'm a senior at Florida A&M University. I major in psychology. Um, my main interests are like clinical psychology, marriage and family therapy, stuff like that. So tell me how mental health kind of plays a part in you loving someone when you're going through a depression, but you still have to love your partner. Okay, depression and love, that's a lot. So there's this little piece in your brain and it's called the amygdala. Everyone has one. It's like way down underneath all the like, bubblegum stuff that you see when you look at pictures of brains, Mm -hmm. and it plays a major role in attachment and emotion management. So if your amygdala is not being fed the right things, as with your body, if you're not eating vegetables and the right amount of protein, it's going to work against you. And when you have toxic relationships and you already have a pre-existing condition of depression, Mm -hmm. you're going to put yourself in a, I don't like to say cycle, because like Javante said, they start and end. Mm -hmm. Um, it's like a snowball effect. Right. So it's going to be small in the beginning, and maybe a couple days later, or some, for some people it's weeks, for some people it's years, you're going to end up with this mound of like hate and regret toward yourself. Because I'm a strong believer in anything that you have that you feel negatively towards someone else, whether they're a significant other or a family member in a romantic or platonic relationship, if you feel that towards them, you got to ounce of that towards yourself. Right. So when you have depression and you have the reaction of depression, towards a significant other, you're telling your amygdala, this is what love is. This is how we're supposed to feel. And I say, when I say we, I mean you and your brain. Um, This is how we're supposed to feel. If he beats me and I already feel bad about myself, I deserve to be beat. Or I deserve to be cussed out or anything like that. So I do not recommend if you feel that you are depressed or 
you feel like you have any type of anxiety or anything like that that's severe enough to the point where you're calling it out for its name, I don't suggest you get into a relationship because then you'll be expecting that person to fix it. Right. They are not your That is true. Oh, they are not. I can't be. It's coming. It's coming. No, it's fine. Go ahead. Okay, so let me preface it by saying I'm married. Right. <laughs> but, but from what I have read and just asked married people, um, the responsibility of upkeeping your partner comes with the covenant. So once you become married, if you're feeling depressed, you should be comfortable enough with that person to tell them. If you can get married, get in front of people, save the house, lay down with this person every single night, if you're feeling depressed or anxious or anything like that, you should be able to share it with that person. So once that covenant is created, and that's why I like, don't get married if there's no covenant. And the covenant doesn't happen on the altar. The covenant happens with you and your significant other and God committing to y'all's relationship when y'all committed back to them. So that's as much as I can say about marriage because I ain't married. <laughs> yes, question. I'm sorry. It's just a mental health question. Yeah. Okay, so I know a lot of people um, don't know how to a lot of people that have never experienced mental illnesses or mental health complications do not know how to be there for someone. Not saying a lot of people express that they don't know how to be there for someone or empathize with someone because they don't know what it feels like. Mm -hmm. So, what advice would you give people that may have relatives or friends or significant others or anybody in their life that is dealing with mental illnesses? How would you suggest that they go about being there for them and supporting them? Okay, so the first thing I would say is don't call them crazy. Yes. Crazy has a like a really, really negative connotation to it. Mm -hmm. And someone who is experiencing like a mental illness, you call them crazy, it's gonna serve as a trigger. Right. And then they it's like, well, if they gonna call me crazy, I can show you crazy. Right. You know? Yeah. So I, that's first things first. Don't call them crazy. And there's a a measure of sympathy that you can give someone without knowing exactly what depression feels like or right. what anxiety feels like. Um, don't, I'm saying a lot of don'ts. I'll give you some do's. Okay. Um, <laughs> be around them when you, when you can anticipate that they're going to feel some kind of way. And when I say some kind of way, I say that because some people experience depression and it makes them retreat. Some people experience depression and it makes them want to be seen. Um, so you just really have to know a person and that, that, says more about your relationship with them than it does about your ability to like pinpoint oh she, she usually wear pink on Wednesday today's Wednesday she not wearing pink she must be depressed right. you, if you're gonna call somebody your friend you should be able to understand how they act um, what their happiness looks like and when that happiness is gone you just gotta be real like are you okay right. and I think there is a really big like negative connotation around asking somebody if they are right like you can literally just ask somebody are you okay and we have a really bad habit like I, if I see Rose school I'm like you good and she say yeah I'm good right. are you really good right. like be honest right. when your friends ask you if you can trust them and you know that they care be honest and as the friend be prepared if they say no like if you if you ask your best friend today are you okay 
and she said, no, I'm feeling depressed. What are you going to say? Are you really their friend to the point where you can offer some advice and just company for that? And if you can't, that ain't your friend. Yes. Actually, just go to what you just said. I'm a true believer in fate and destiny and soulmates and all that, but I also believe in like free will and chi and your own decision making. So if you're with somebody who has mental illness or you have mental illness and your partner can't deal with you or your friend or whoever and they can't deal with it, does that mean that that person is not for you or is it your responsibility to kind of show them the kind of love that you need to receive as a person with mental illness? I have a like fluffy answer for that and I also have a practical one. I'm going to give you a practical one first because it's not as nice. Um, <laughs> I'm just being, being honest with you. As some, I suffer with depression for like 16 to 20. I'm 21. Yeah, 16 to 20. I had like really low self-esteem, right? And a piece of me wants to say, yes, my mama should have noticed. I wasn't, you know, acting a certain way or my friend should have picked up on it. But if I really wanted help, there is a measure of responsibility that falls on you right. to tell somebody. Mm-hmm. And that is the hardest thing in the world. Trust me, like, especially if you have a reputation for being like a really happy, jolly person, or, oh, she's always smiling. If you're feeling bad, it's going to be hard for you to say, I'm feeling this way about myself. But the responsibility is partly on you, and that's the practical side of it. The fluffy side of it is your friends love you. Your family members love you. If you're married, your spouse is supposed to love you. So they should also pick up on those things as well. Yes, ma'am. Oh, my gosh. I have a question for one of the things that you said. What's coming from? Your ride or die should be able to like handle the weight of who you are, 
who you want to be and who God expects you to be. Your real friend should be able to handle that. Everybody else, just send them pictures of shoes. <laughs> what? <laughs> you'll, be, you'll be fine. One more. Choose somebody. If you don't choose before, who ain't talked before? Oh. Ashley. Okay, great. Oh. Ashley and then her in the middle right here. Okay, great. Okay. Um, so what do you do when you've like told someone because you said it's like also your responsibility yeah. to like do something. So what do you do if you've like had the conversation? Okay, so well like me. Mm-hmm. I've had the conversation with my mom and like I've somewhat had the conversation with my friends. I just don't know. It's kind of like I get up the courage, I should say, to like go see a therapist or like go see somebody to Before you finish your question, I was about to say seek professional help because there's a stigma around going to the therapist. Mm-hmm. Why? Well, I have no idea. I love to talk, so Me too. I would love to go and talk to somebody, you know? But you mentioned that when you get to the point of actually going, that you probably have some anxiety about talking to someone who, quite frankly, is not going to know you until you go. Right. So as much courage as it took for you to tell your mom, you know your mom. You know, as much courage as it takes for you to tell your friend, not saying that it doesn't take a lot, it's gonna take a lot more to talk to a stranger. But there are some things that your friends are not gonna be able to carry the weight of because they got weight too. Right. Your mama not gonna be able to carry the weight of because she don't have weight too. You're going to have to do the hard thing. Mm-hmm. Just like working out, I just started working out. Okay. I'm real proud of myself. It's only been like a couple days. <laughs> but it's hard. Working out is difficult. I'd be ready to go. We get to the end of the set, and I'll be going to get my keys. And he's like, no, no, four more rounds. I'm like, four more rounds of what? Right. I'm tired. But it's hard. Now, I'm going to love the results of it, okay? We're going to get into stress for graduation. Right. But it's hard. Mm-hmm. Going to talk to someone you don't know to seek help about the innermost parts of you is going to be difficult, but you have to do it or you'll never see the results of it. All right. I think she really wants to say something. Yes. Um, I just raised my hand because I'm a social worker and I work with people every day. When it comes to the themes of your emotions and mental illness and depression and anxiety, yes, your friends are supposed to be there for you and you should have people in your circle that you feel like you could spill your guts to. But there's only so much that your friend can tell you. Mm-hmm. There's only so much that your, so much encouragement, so many words of affirmation that your friend can give you. At the end of the day, your your illness and your um, mental illness is your responsibility. If you feel like that you're not getting that support from your friends, then it's not their problem. You need to take that up to the counselor, to the therapist, to God. Your your, your health is your accountability. Right. Your friends should be in your corner. They should support you. But at the end of the day, there's only so much that out of out of person can give you. I wouldn't say a person who can't tell you the the very things that you can hear. I wouldn't say that that's not your friend. I'm just saying that's not, she's not there. Y'all are going through the same things. Y'all are on the same plane of life. So how can she put some wisdom in you that she doesn't have herself? Right, right. Just say something while we wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. That um, you can have it, you can share wisdom from you. Some people may not know where to go as far as a therapist or mm-hmm. So, yeah. Each, uh, both of the schools, FAMU and FSU, have counseling centers. Mm-hmm. I know for a fact, Sunshine Banner does walk in. You can just, like, literally, you can just walk in. 
Um, I don't know the fees associated with Sunshine it's Manor. I know it's free for we students. We pay for it through our, um, our health fees. Okay, Sunshine Manor. FSU also has a counseling center and the Marriage and Family Therapy Department has a counseling center. So if your um, struggle or what you're going through is more like family oriented or relationship oriented, I would suggest going to the counseling center and Florida State's Marriage and Family Therapy Center and shameless plug, Family Worship and Prayer Center is a great church. Yes. And if you can't get in contact with the pastor directly, there are there's so much wisdom mm -hmm. at that church and so many people who if you ask them they will tell you they're not going to be like well i can't really help you right now or maybe go talk to pastor quincy go talk to pastor quincy there's so much wisdom there's so many women that i have had short conversations with not even just like going and sitting and having like a therapy type session and writing in a book um that have helped me especially with like and so I'm called Star Out. We had a probably five minutes, she probably don't even remember this conversation, um, just about how I feel about myself. And she was like, well, what you want me to tell you? You, you. That sounds like us. And at first I was like, yeah, okay. All right, see you, see you next Sunday. Right. But I thought okay. about that thing later and I'm like, I am me. Right. Who do I expect me to be? Right. Who do I want to be? Right. And the responsibility isn't on Rose or Jasmine to tell me, oh, you're pretty, you're this, you're that. I had to get to a point where I believed it for myself. And you have community to help you until you believe it for yourself. And if you don't have that community, Family Rush and Praise Center, find you a therapist, get my number, I love to talk. I don't have my degree yet, but I make good grades. Also, if you <laughs> If you go to 211 Big Ben's website, they have a list of all different types of um, hotlines that are 24 hours and they have trained people that sit in those places and talk to people. They have a suicide hotline, a domestic violence hotline, a, a eating disorder hotline. So if you don't want to go face to face, you can call these people and they'll talk with you through whatever you're dealing with. And we're going to wrap this portion of. And while we're doing that, 